Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, and a pleasant good Wednesday morning to each and every one of you. We welcome you to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time. You can find us in a variety of ways. We start with YouTube. Go to the Chatterbox Sports page. You can flip on the notification switch there, if you would, please. You can also join us streaming on Facebook, Chatterbox Sports page, or a podcast is more your cup of tea, so be it. Just search Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman, and you're dialed in. Well, the NFL Combine, officially off and running in Indianapolis. Not a ton to report so far, unless you're a Bengals fan. I mean, it was a headline story yesterday. As you know, there's been a lot of talk lately, it seems, about the possibility of T. Higgins being dealt away in a trade. Not by those necessarily that cover the team locally, but a number of national media members have been floating that idea around. Maybe it could happen. Maybe it won't. De facto general manager Duke Tobin says no chance. I'm in the business of making the Cincinnati Bengals better. And so trading T. Higgins is not on my mind. That's their problem. They want a receiver. Go find your own. You know, in, in my, my opinion, you know, T. Higgins is a good piece for the Cincinnati Bengals. So the trade stuff is a little ridiculous right now. Love that line. Want a receiver? Go find your own. I love it, too. It's a leader of men, Duke Tobin. <laughs> Absolutely. That's great stuff. The Bengals pick 28th, as you know, in the draft, but it could be a big weekend and a big week ahead on other fronts. The clock is officially ticking for teams around the league to franchise, put a tag on a player, cut players loose ahead of free agency, which officially begins on March the 15th. Do the Bengals keep mixing under his current deal? What happens to free agents like Hayden Hurst or Jermaine Pratt? Or Von Bell, would they think about bringing Jesse Bates back, depending on how the market out there looks for a safety? Remember, they offered this guy a long-term deal at $17 million a year that he turned down. I have a hard time believing Bates is going to find that kind of cash on the free agent market, especially considering that safety is loaded in the draft. One piece of notable news yesterday, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers released veteran running back Leonard Fournette. The veteran said he had asked the team to do so and that no bad blood exists between the two parties. The Seattle Seahawks, they love Geno Smith, comeback player of the year. They're trying to sign him to a long-term deal, but so far that hasn't happened. So with that in mind, the Seahawks said yesterday, Pete Carroll and their general manager, they're keeping their options open on taking a quarterback with the fifth overall pick in the draft. You may remember they got that pick in the Russell Wilson deal from Denver last year. Baseball news. The Reds got two scoreless innings out of starter Nick Lodolo. Beat the Dodgers 7-1 yesterday. Reds are 2-2 two two in Cactus League play. Padres starting pitcher Joe Musgrave. How about this story? He is going to miss quite some time. Lifting one of those kettle weights, kind of like Casey and Paul and Brandon throw around for the big hitters. Then he dropped it on his left big toe. That's got to feel good. So he's out for quite some time. College basketball, big one tonight, Paul Fritschner. 
Yeah, it really is. It's a huge one tonight. Uh, it's going to be for the second seed in the uh, in the Big East tournament. And given what happened last night with Seton Hall and Villanova, I mean, there is a there is a big difference between the way Seton Hall and Villanova are playing right now. I know the score last night was a close game when they played, but you know the winner of this game basically gets to play Seton Hall next Thursday, and the loser of this game gets to play Villanova. Ooh. So, yeah, lot lot to play for. Ooh, really? Lot to play for. Villanova's hot. Villanova is hot. Villanova is yeah. hot. Um, yeah, that's the Muskies tonight in Providence. And as Paul mentioned, they're tied for second place in the Big East Conference. Two full games behind Marquette. We'll get to them in a minute. Other notable games tonight, conference tournament games continue in some of the smaller conferences. Tomorrow night, number four seed Northern Kentucky takes on the fifth seed Oakland in the Horizon League tournament. Tonight, Vanderbilt is at Red Hot Kentucky. The Big Blue, marching to the promised land. I don't know why I talk so highly about Kentucky. I've never liked them. For some reason, this year, I kind of like them because they're an underdog for the first time. Uh, number 21, Maryland, is in Columbus to take on Ohio State. And the biggest game on the slate outside of the X game here locally would be number 9, Texas, at number 22, TCU, in Fort Worth. Games of note last night, first-year Duke head coach John Shire became the first coach in ACC history, and think about those names in the history of that league, to go undefeated at home in his first season at the helm. The Blue Devils beat NC State last night to cap off a 15-0 record at Cameron Indoor Stadium. Duke closes its season against rival North Carolina in Chapel Hill over the weekend. Number three, Kansas, another tight one, but they went again, beat Texas Tech 67-63. Number 15, Indiana. Go figure that one. Blown out of its own gym in Bloomington by Iowa. 90-68. to 68. I'm telling you, Iowa is one of those teams to watch in the NCAA tournament. They're peaking at the right time. Back to Marquette for a minute, ranked six in the country. They beat Butler last night, clinching its first outright conference championship since winning Conference USA back in 2003. The Golden Eagles were picked to finish ninth in the Big East preseason poll and have their highest ranking in the AP since 1978. Paul, were you one of the guys that voted the media members to pick Marquette ninth in the preseason poll, yay or nay? Actually, the Big East is one of the few conferences where the coaches vote on the poll. The media does not vote on the Big East preseason poll. So... It was the 11 coaches that picked Marquette ninth in the Big East. All right, answer me this, okay? You, you like to think, and I've always said, and it doesn't matter what the sport is, you know, you've got to know your own team as well, if not better, than other people know your team. But what is it at the end of the day? I'm curious of this, okay? Sure. What is it at the end of the day that would have led a person, and I'm not asking who, it doesn't make any difference, what would have led someone to think Marquette was not going to be very good? And why, why have they countered that argument? Oh, well, they, they are very young. So every player, if you want to think about how dangerous they could be in the Big East going forward, every player on Marquette has at least two years of eligibility left. If that kind of gives you an idea of where they were coming from last year versus this year. But, I mean, last year they were, they were middle of the road. They were a nine seed. I think they were like a like the seven, six or seven seed maybe in the in the Big East tournament. They were just a middle-of-the-pack team. 
and you thought to yourself, all right, well, you're bringing back Tyler Kolick, who's going to end up being the Big East player of the year, but they just didn't have any standout names that you felt to yourself, okay, they're going to go from like sixth all the way up to first or, or even second, the top echelon of the conference. And they were 77th, I think, in the computer numbers to begin the season. I mean, it just, they were down, they were down. And they had a young team, and the, and credit to Shaka Smart. Yep. He turned it around. I mean, he's going to be the Big East Coach of the Year. They're going to have the Big East Player of the Year. Shaka Smart might be one of the National Coaches of the Year. I mean, he, it is, uh, it is, it's been a remarkable season for Marquette. It's well-deserved. They, uh. They've earned it. I mean, they they have gotten win after win. Xavier split the season series with them, but outside of that, it's you know Xavier beat them at Cintas. That's only one of three losses for Marquette this year in uh, in the Big East. They lost to Xavier. They lost to UConn, and then their only other loss was against Providence at Providence. Providence doesn't lose at home. Providence in double overtime. All right. Well, so, that leads us to Providence at home tonight against Xavier. Yeah, I think Providence. I I have to go back and look, but I think they're thirty-seven and one in their last thirty-eight home games. So they they just don't lose at home. They're for whatever reason they just when when Ed Cooley gets that crowd going. It uh, used to be the dunk, now it's the amp. When he gets that crowd going there, I mean it is it is something. There's something in the water there. And uh, wait a minute, they changed the nickname of the arena, or it's a new arena. No, they change. It's not. Yeah, Dunkin' Donuts didn't renew their contract. I. That's why it was the dunk. So. Okay, and now it's called the what? It's like the. Well, they call it the Amp, but it's like the Amica Mutual Pavilion or something, or Amica Mutual. I don't know how to pronounce the first. Okay. So first Amp. Name. Yeah. But they call it the Amp. Doesn't have the same ring as the dunk. You're going to a basketball game. Yeah, you're going no to go doubt. to the dunk. Although the Amp's not bad. The no, no the Amp. The amp's not bad. If it, you had to replace the dunk, Amp's not bad. No, the Amp's not bad, but it's not the dunk. What do they call the Cintas Center? Does it have a nickname? I mean, isn't it the toss? I guess the kids call it the toss. The yeah. toss. The toss. T a s toss. Yeah. That they got to now. See, you're the in-game host at the yeah. arena. Okay. Sure. Really, I mean, this is where you could make a significant impact in that role. I mean, you really could. I mean, serious about this. I am putting this on you now. Okay. They only have one more home game left. So maybe this year's not the time to start it. Maybe you'd rather be doing something else besides that this time next year. Big play-by-play job for Ohio State if Paul Keels hangs him up, something like that, sure. right? Yep. Okay, all right. But this is where, Casey, tell me if you agree. Okay. Paul has the impact on students and the fans at the toss, whatever that means, Okay. To come up with a new nickname for that building, you could do this. I think you should take this upon yourself. You agree with me, Casey? If he started you saying whatever it was, the fill in the blank, every single time he's on the PA there, commercial breaks, students, I mean, they pick it up just like that. That's how they are. Very impressionable young people. I mean, I think he could. It just depends on what you decide. That's That's a tenuous decision, Tom. You can't get that one wrong. And you can't. Well, they're, they're, I'm not asking you to think of it right now. I agree with you. It's something that's got to be something good. But I mean, well there, there's got to be something there a lot that, of, that you could come up with. A lot of thought and discernment goes into that one. Yeah, everybody's just called it the toss forever. I guess it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't have like the phone booth. You know, it's not like the like the Verizon Center growing up down in D.C. It was always the phone booth. Yeah, you don't really have anything like that. I don't know. I mean, I'm not. I'm not a 
I don't dislike the toss, though, in my <laughs> opinion. I, Come on. Tom doesn't like it. I don't dislike it. Come on. The toss. The toss. Doesn't sound like the shoe. Yeah, it doesn't sound like the shoe. That's right. Although nobody calls it the shoe anymore. They used to call it the shoe. Do the students still call it the shoe? No, they don't even remember it was named the shoe. The old Shoemaker Center, now Fifth Third Arena. Uh, But, Paul, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this could be one of those things where your legacy could be that Paul Fritchner, (laughs) among many, many great things in your storied future career, but you could be the guy to come up with a nickname for the Centos Center, one of the great home venues in all of college basketball, right? Yeah. You, you could do this. It's true. Paul Keels, Xavier guy. Did you know that? Well, I knew he was a Moeller guy. I didn't know he was a Xavier guy. Very briefly. He is an out- Briefly what? I don't think he finished there. At Xavier? Yeah. Yeah. Great announcer. Oh, awesome. Gosh, what a great announcer. I mean, an even better guy. I mean, that, that, that football broadcast team they have there uh, with him and the, the, one of the great offensive linemen in the history of football, not only at Ohio State, but in the NFL, Jim Lachey. That is a great radio uh, football team that they have at Ohio State. Um, I, w- I want to talk about, boys, the Bengals here for a minute. What is this? Somebody tossing it. I want to get some ideas from, um, from some of you guys uh, in the chat about what Paul could, could use as a nickname. He might use your help. Um, is, is this true? Is there a breaking story about Jalen Carter here? Uh, is there something going on with him? Or is this uh, we'll, Everett? We'll take, we'll take a look at it. Everett is not one to be making stuff up. Uh, it just NBC Sports, the only headline says that Jalen Carter was president at, present at a teammate's fatal crash and misled police about it. That's literally just the headline. Today's day and age. Don't get caught in just reading the headline. I did not read the story, Okay, but that's the headline. Okay, well, that's the guy that a lot of people think might be the number one pick in the draft. Yeah. They say he is the biggest game record. That's the quote uh, in an article I read recently um, coming out of uh, Georgia. The biggest game record as a defensive lineman uh, in quite some time. Casey, it had to be like Nirvana for you. Nirvana. Nirvana. When, or Utopia, when you heard the words of Duke Tobin that we just played and heard a moment ago about T. Higgins, that go find your own wide receiver. Oh, yeah. I mean, I not that I had any doubts that we weren't going to try to keep T, but I think we know where the priorities lie after these combine interviews with Duke and with Zach. And it's clear to me, number one priority, Joe Burrow. Second priority, keeping the trio of receivers with us. I'm cool with that. I'm all in on that. Um, By the way, I'm just looking at some of the the tweets that are about Jalen Carter. There's apparently been a, a arrest warrant form issued. Oh. That's, that's what I'm seeing on here Yikes. from Ian Rappaport. Lots of different notable guides here. So that's, that's huge. Um, that's a huge breaking story. Thank you, Everett, for leading, to, leading us to that. But anyways, back to the Bengals. Um, yeah, they said a lot of interesting bits. Um, they had a lot, of, a lot of things that we could digest and break down. One of them being, I think the biggest one, 
being Joe Mixon's future, where they were all about making T. Higgins, Joe Burrow priorities. They're here to stay. Those are guys that we want to keep. And the same was not said about Joe Mixon. And the thing is, they talk about how they're going to maximize the cap. They said that um, they liked the running back room, but they kind of used past tense like Joe Mixon was a great guy for us. Like they, they like it's interesting. Yeah, I got, I got the was, same impression. Yeah, so it's like maybe they're gonna go to him and say, "Listen, you got to take a pay cut, or we're cutting you." And I think that could. I think now I thought that was like a twenty-five percent chance of happening. I think now it's like a fifty, sixty percent. Well, chance I bet of it's happening. even. I bet it's higher than that. Yeah, I just I wouldn't know for certain. The other thing too is the free agents. Um, they they've pretty much already said that depending on what market value for Pratt, for Bell, for Bates, um, depending on what that shakes out to be, um, is going to determine where they play next year. Um, so that, there's no guarantees with those guys either. Um, they're I just like don't them. see, I just don't see, and you, I mean, you point, you make a great point, and I, and I said it in the monologue. They offered Jesse Bates a long-term deal for $17 million a year. They had to franchise tag. There was some animosity between the two. And as many of you know, we'll get to this part in a minute, Jesse Bates and T. Higgins both have the same agent. Now, whether that plays into this whole thing or not in terms of Higgins and his long-term uh, future with the Bengals remains to be seen. You'd like to think that you can separate if you're an agent, you know, this situation from that situation. They're all different. I think the Bengals would be making a terrible mistake signing Jesse Bates to a long-term contract. Um, you know, he was thinking that the market, that he would be sort of the, 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 the guy that set the standard of the free agent market for safeties. Um, and that's why he turned down the long-term deal. But now at this point, you got Dax Hill back there you've drafted. A much cheaper option is to bring back Von Bell, great leader. Bates has been a good player here but not a $17 million a year player, especially when you've got all these other guys coming up. I want to get back to the Higgins thing, though, for a minute. And here's, here's, here's the thing. To put everybody's mind at rest, because there's, there's a lot of people that are floating things out there that, that, that are just inaccurate. This coming season will be the final year of T. Higgins' rookie contract. They don't have to do anything with T. Higgins. He can just play this year on the final year of his rookie deal. You could franchise tag him each of the next two years after this year. It'd make no sense to franchise tag him now. None. Because you give him an enormous raise when you don't have to do it. But to come out and blatantly say, for me, to come out and blatantly say, we're not trading T. Higgins. Now, Maybe behind closed doors, they're leaving their options open. But if somebody comes to you and says, hey, we're going to give you X, Y, and Z, which would just blow the doors off of anything you thought you could get. For me, outside of Burrow and maybe Chase, there's not a guy on this team that I say is totally off limits. Burrow might be the only one. 
because you just don't know what some teams are willing to offer you in return if indeed they want to try and make a trade for T. Higgins. You can't just unequivocally say, no, he's off the board. Right? Yeah. Well, I, I kind of understand what you're saying, Tom. The flip side of that is, why would they trade a guy that this other team values so highly that they're willing to trade XYZ? You know what I mean? I think that's where they're at is the, the quote that he says is we're not in the business of making other teams better. It's because he, he knows that the value of a certain player is that high or like, why, why would we even, you know, it's, it's the, the thought of it is like, why would we even trade someone that good away for average players or for unknown talent? No, no, no. I'm not and talking I, about average or unknown talent. I'm saying somebody walks in the door and just blows your mind. Let's just pick the Lions. Because that was one of the teams that everybody was talking about. Right? Okay. The Bengals are clearly looking for a guy who when they get in the red zone, and Zach Taylor talks about this all the time, when they get in the red zone, you've got to have a guy that can take the football in the run game and get you into the end zone. The Williams kid last year rushes for over 1,000 yards, and he scores 17 touchdowns, okay, okay, as a running back. Yeah. If they walked in the door and they said to you, okay, we're going to give you Williams, we're going to give you a number one draft pick wherever they're picking this year, and we're going to give you a number one draft pick for next year wherever they're picking next year. Are you not going to at least listen to that deal? I mean, uh, I... I'm not saying I wouldn't, because I would. I would listen to that deal. But in, like I said, that's not Duke Tobin's mindset. His mindset is, wow, you're going to give me all that? Man, T. Higgins is really valuable then. I'm not going to trade him away and make your team better. Why would I do that if he's that valuable? So I kind of, I see, I see both sides. Yeah. But I, in my mind, that is one area where the Bengals' philosophy to me is not all the way sound i guess it's not it's not a perfect thing but it is it is what they do and they they've stuck to their guns on that and done a good job at it they've done a a relatively good job at it i mean the times that they have traded seems like they've gotten away with it like the bj hill trade or the you can even go back to like Ocho that, that was a hell of a deal the bj hill trade right that was huge um I can't really think of the other trades off the top of my head, but the two that stick out to me are the one to 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 get B.J. Hill. That was big. Um, they traded away Ocho Cinco for not a whole lot, but they they I think they won that trade. He didn't do much in, in New England. Um, traded away Carlos Dunlap. He didn't really produce where he went to. Um, took him a couple different teams before he get his footing back again. Um, there's a lot of different examples like that where the Bengals have managed to be the victors of their trades. Um, I think the one that comes to mind that I think the trades that they would do are picks for players or picks back to acquire more picks. That's something that I think they, they would consider, but they will never trade a player for unknown talent or no, nor should they. Not when you're yeah. talking about a guy, if we're talking specifically here about Higgins, you, it, 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 the only way you would even consider making a deal 
is if it's something that you just say to yourself, we cannot turn this down. Right. Yeah. And I have a clip here. If you want to kind of hear this like minute and a half sure. breakdown of where the mindset for Duke Tobin is, I'm going to just get it ready for you. And All play right, let's it pull it up. I like this guy, Duke Tobin. It's a man's man. You're in a good place. You got a good football team, a great quarterback and, uh, and the room to do things. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, how long that lasts, we'll see. You know, uh, I, our quarterback will last. Well, last interview is lasting a lot longer with a guy in your shape than uh, the guys we've had to talk to with an But our, our, quarterback, uh, our quarterback is the uh, is a key, and, and our job is to facilitate his success in every way that we can and put the pieces around him. And, uh, you, and know, you know, we're going we're gonna to spend. We're going to spend to the uh, cap. We're, we're not, you know, going to. No, I, I know you will. I think just because we've referenced Joe between the three of us 10 times already, just your, your impressions of him at this point in his career as he's grown into being a, the Bengal superstar. Yeah, you know, uh, he walked in like the Bengal superstar, you know, and not a lot of people, uh, you know, have the confidence to do that and, and the wherewithal to know how to do it. You know, uh, he uh, he came into our situation and uh, and he wanted to be in charge without uh, being overbearing. And, uh, you know, he, he's just got so much confidence in himself in the right way. Uh, it, it's rare that you can have a guy with with that level of confidence and uh, and no arrogance, you know. Well, and, it's and, called and, humility. And, he's got and, some and, of that. He's got he's got no arrogance, but you know you know that he knows, and yeah. and it's just a very comforting thing. He's uh, I you know I I've uh, got a great relationship with him. You know I, I I lean on him to to give me ideas, give me thoughts. You know what what are you seeing, especially on the offensive side of the ball? You know it, it, what makes you more comfortable, this or this? What makes uh, you know those are things that are important. Yeah. He, as he goes, we go. Well, there's no doubt about that, and I mean it all starts with Burrow's contract. They're not going to be able to do anything. Uh, well, that's not true. I mean, they're going to have a general idea, and they already do. I'm sure they're talking to his agent about what this thing basically looks like. Now, how you carve it up and how you do it and so on and so forth, um, you know, will, will vary, certainly. Um, but, but, but they have the framework of what that contract's going to look like and then what they're going to be able to do or not able to do once the borough contract gets done. Some people think this thing's not going to get done uh, until training camp, uh, but I don't think anybody really knows for sure outside of Mike Brown and, and Katie Blackburn and Troy Blackburn and obviously Zach Taylor and Duke Tobin as to where all that stands uh, right now. Um, we have Chris Welsh coming up uh, as part of our big interview today. A uh, long time, since 1993, the Reds television analyst, uh, and so he's going to join us from Arizona to talk about his career a little bit as a player. I mean, he's, for a lot of you now, you just know him as a broadcaster. He was a highly thought-of pitcher uh, originally in the New York Yankees organization, moved on to San Diego, and then eventually finished his career for the Reds playing for Pete Rose. We'll talk a little bit about that. And then we'll talk about, you know, the Reds this season and about the rule changes. Uh, Chris owns and started what's called Baseball Rules Academy, uh, it's a great website if you really want to learn some of the rules and some of the crazy things. It gives you a lot of great video about examples of things that happen in a game, maybe the night before, a couple nights before, whatever it might be. Um, so we'll talk with him about all of that.
But I got to tell you, fellas, this uh, th- th- this Jalen Carter news is is off the charts. Remember, we told you the story some time back about the Georgia football player uh, and another member of the staff at Georgia uh, that were killed in an automobile accident. Single car crash uh, quite some time ago. Um, apparently, Jalen Carter, who's one of the top prospects in this upcoming draft, maybe number one, uh, was present at the scene of that fatal car crash back in January. He drove away, misled police about it afterwards, and they're, recording, uh, they're reporting the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reporting that Carter first told police he was nearly a mile away when the fatal crash happened. Then he said he was behind the other vehicle, could see its, its taillights, and then he was alongside the car when it crashed. What they want to know is, police are questioning Carter, is whether or not he was racing the other car. Carter has denied that. Oh, well. We'll see what happens. Um, all right. We got, um, I'm going to throw it to the Ham and Eggers. Uh, Chris Welsh, was everything looking good, Casey, by the way, on that? The last time we tried to get him, we had some technical problems. Uh, I don't know, on his end, our end, whatever the case may be. How are things looking at he's checking in? Um, I do not see his video or audio currently, but I see that he's dialed dialed in. So we're going to try and work we're gonna, on it. Yeah, we're going to try and work on it. Okay. With him. All right. Okay. Um, well, while you're doing that, um, you know, Paul, th- th- this whole thing, oftentimes it's it's not only – look, all of us have been in situations where, you know – Wrong place, wrong time, your own fault, or, or just a freak, not your own fault. Uh, as, as all of us know, and we, we you know, learn by experience, and Lord knows you're trying to learn and get better every single day. Um, when you try then to cover it up or you don't tell the truth about it, especially now when you're talking about police being involved, and we don't know all the particulars. Uh, it was noted in this Atlanta Journal-Constitution article that, you know, they're wondering about, was he racing the other car? Um, but Carter apparently was pulled over back in September for driving 89 miles an hour in a 45-mile-per-hour zone. Now, all of us have done that. I mean, well, maybe not all of us. I've done it. Maybe not 89 in a 45, but 89 somewhere um, where it was well over the speed limit. But, but, but you know, you, you, just, you just wonder, you know, he decided not to go. It makes me wonder. Did, did he end up going? I thought originally I had read he was not going to participate at the combine as far as some of the, the weightlifting and the drills and the running and all that kind of stuff. But he was going to go to do the physical and to um, do the interviews. Yeah, so Ian Rappaport tweeted a few minutes ago that he had been scheduled to speak with reporters in Indianapolis along, uh, along with his physical and that he uh, has not been spotted with his group this morning. He has met with teams already previous to the news. Um, and then that's it. It said both charges against Jalen Carter are misdemeanors. So yeah. that's. Well, you know, look, you hope, you hope for the kid's sake that, uh, that everything's cleared about this whole thing. And I mean, he, you know, only he knows the truth on this thing. And um, it's a heavy burden to carry. 
if um, if indeed you were, you know, racing somebody, if that's indeed what happens, and I want to get ahead of ourselves here because we don't know for sure, um, but it'd be a heavy burden to carry around. Um, you know, I, I mentioned that um, you guys had, uh, in my absence yesterday, uh, you guys had Coach Horn on. Oh, he was great. He's the best. He was awesome. Casey doesn't know, but he's the head basketball coach at Northern Kentucky <laughs> University. Casey being an alum of NKU. He's the basketball coach there, Casey. And uh, they've got a big game tomorrow night. I mean, they've got a legitimate chance to win this conference tournament. They're basically those top four or five teams. They're all basically the same team, right? Yeah, especially the top four. Especially the top four. So, yeah, NKU's playing Oakland tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. They split with them during the season, I saw. They They, lost at home a one-point game. Yep. Then they beat them pretty good up there in the last game they played. Yeah, just a couple of days ago. Just a couple of days ago. So, uh, I mean, yeah, it has to give you confidence that you just beat this team three days ago, and then now you're going to go play them again in the first round of the conference tournament. Uh, but, I mean, NKU's had a ton of success in the Horizon League tournament just over the last few years. They won the tournament during uh, COVID and then obviously couldn't play in the NCAA tournament since there was no tournament. But this is a NKU team that has had its ups, it's had its downs this year. Um, when they've been up, they've been very up, and when they've been down, they've lost some stinkers. But – the, and the, the the Horizon League, you know, there have been years when it's been Northern Kentucky, prohibitive favorite, Wright State, whoever. There isn't that this year. Youngstown State, you would say, is the best team in the league. Um, they're, all, they're a fringe top 100 team. Um, but that's not to say that any of these top four teams I – I would be surprised if a team outside the top four won it. Right. But any of the top four teams, I mean, they're all going to have – relatively you know a gauntlet to go through as they like to say hey let me ask you this and i meant to ask you the other day after purdue lost again to indiana now they're two weeks ago they looked like the best team in the country yeah right they got the best big man in the country i mean he's a dominant force there on the inside and now all of a sudden you know they lose to indiana twice they lost another game you know and 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 now i wonder if everybody universally agrees, and you tell me if you agree with this, where we sit right now, there is no doubt, even if they lose in their conference tournaments, okay, there is no doubt that Alabama, and that maybe depends on the Miller thing, okay, what they're going to do there, if anything, Alabama, Houston, and Kansas are all going to be number one seats. For a long time, everybody thought Purdue was a lock to be a number one seat. I'm not so sure of that anymore. If there is somebody that would replace him, and maybe you don't think there's somebody that will replace him and they'll still be a number one seed. If somebody would replace him, who would it be? UCLA. And I think it's very uh, close. You got a good point there. I forgot about that. And I think it's very close to happening. Yeah, uh, I agree. They should. UCLA should be a number one seed, no doubt about it. I wouldn't say no doubt just because the Pac-12 is not quite the Big Ten this year. The, t- the problem is it's it, kind of both conferences the same way where you have the top with UCLA and Arizona, but then, you know, Arizona's lost their own right. stinkers this year, as you want to call it. But I, I think UCLA has a very legitimate claim to the number one seed. They've only lost four. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They, they, they have a very legitimate chance there to be the number one. And I would say that there are a lot of bracketologists now that have flipped it, that Purdue is the top two seed, that that UCLA is, is that last number one seed. Bracket Matrix, is, which is the place that, that aggregates all that, 
Bama, Houston, and Kansas are all unanimous yep. number one seeds. And then uh, Purdue and UCLA are like right neck and neck, splitting the that last one spot, first two spots. So maybe how yeah. they do in their conference tournaments will dictate which one. Yeah, I, I, and this is kind of like what I was talking about with your dad the other day, that sometimes conference tournament performance is overvalued because a lot of times going into the tournament that the committee kind of already has its mind set up. And unless, you know, like say Purdue goes in and, and loses in the first round of the to Big Ohio Ten tournament. To Ohio State or somebody. To, just yeah, pick, I mean, pick it. Yeah, team. yeah, yeah. Right. You know, or or like a Minnesota. Right. You know, like somebody that's really had a down year. Because even Ohio State numbers wise is like relatively okay, and like the net and stuff, the record's awful. They're right. not going to make the tournament, but you know what I mean. So yeah, I, I just I look at UCLA, and I I would not be shocked. Now if they're the last one seed, you know, and Purdue's the first two, they kind of end up in the same region anyway. The way the snake works in the in the seating and everything, so. Yeah, they, they might be in the same region. But, um, yeah, I, I think that UCLA very easily could slide in there. The Big Ten is just so – they're not as down as the ACC. But it's like Reed and I have talked about. They're going to get a bunch of teams in. But all those teams are going to be like seven, eight seeds. And it's just, all right, now what? i tell you what, though. And, I mean, I know last year they went in with a lot of hype and they and they failed miserably. But I, I'm telling you, uh, you, you I, I, I agree a thousand percent with what you're saying. They're going to be a lot of those, the Michigan States, those kind of teams where on any given night they can beat anybody in the country, literally beat anybody. And then the next night they lose to somebody like last night. They're down 10 to Nebraska with eight to go. They win the game. But – I, I tell you, I, there, there are teams in that league I would not want to have to play. If I were a one or a two seed and I knew that sitting there conceivably in the second round game, I got to play Iowa or somebody like that, I, I tell you. Uh, now, in my understanding, we're really having some problems again with Chris. Yeah, I'm trying to get him into our phone service. Gosh, I wonder, wonder what's going on there. I mean, everybody we ever try to get on the show – uh, and this is the second time this has happened with uh, Chris. I, I mean, I don't know. All right. Uh, let's take a break. Ham and Eggers take it for a second. And uh, hopefully we'll have Chris Welsh, whether it's with video or just audio. Back in a minute. It's that time of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me. I would know. I introduce all the best segments. All right. We've talked about the Bengals draft all that good stuff Bengals report is brought to you by Encore Technologies Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center supporting both centralized and work from home computing models to improve efficiency and I'll say it productivity visit Encore.tech the path to innovation begins here there is also a new premium alkaline water that's Pawnee and I have to tell you we got a new shipment of it the other day, yesterday, I think. Tastes very good. Made in Hamilton, Ohio, Pawnee uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing that many other brands use. The result is a healthy alkaline water that is also the best-tasting water in the world. Visit their website at PawneeWater.com. That is P-A-H-H-N-I-Water.com. P-A-H-H-N-I-Water.com to see where you can buy this great tasting water bet with bet fred get your coffee from udf drink pawnee water and get your technology solutions from encore.tech all right welcome back to off the bench presented by united dairy farmers 
Each and every Wednesday, we call it the big interview. We try and bring somebody on board and have them for an extended period of time. We're having some technical issues getting video of our good friend Chris Welsh. Since 1993, he has been the TV analyst broadcasting Cincinnati Reds baseball. But did you know, after being born in Delaware, he and his family moved to Cincinnati, went to St. X High School, collegiately pitched at the University of South Florida, was drafted back-to-back years by the New York Yankees. That's back when the Yankees were rolling. I mean, they had Billy Martin and Reggie Jackson and Lou Pinello. They had them all going there. Thurman Munson, all those guys that won World Series. But then was involved in a big six-player deal to go to the San Diego Padres, where he eventually made his major league debut. And after pitching for a number of years in the big leagues, finished up his career right here in his hometown of Cincinnati and has been in the broadcast booth virtually every year since then. He joins us, kind enough to join us, from Goodyear, Arizona. Chris Welsh, good morning. How's everything out in Arizona? All good, all good. Beautiful, uh, beautiful place to be here in the springtime. Well, there's no doubt about that. What what have been your impressions so far uh, of the Reds camp? I mean, I know they've only played four games, but you go over to those backfields and watch some of these guys. What's the overall vibe of the team? I think the overall vibe, Tom, is uh, the David Bell and the staff are trying to get all the kids that they've got in camp on the same page and to let them know that it's going to take a lot of high-intensity work. It's going to take effort. It's going to take teamwork every day, and everybody kind of has to band together. It's kind of a bunker mentality where nobody thinks the Reds are going to be any good this year. Uh, We've got to show them, and we do that by – getting out there working harder than everybody else. And I think he's got everybody to buy into that so far. Because really, from the David Bell standpoint, that's the only thing you can do. You can't change the talent level that you have. You can't change the experience level of the players that you have. You've got to give everybody the feeling that if they work really hard, they're going to be successful. I want to turn back the clock before we we talk about uh, the Reds and this upcoming season and about some of the major league rule changes, because I know you have a lot of thoughts. You're very much a rules uh, guy uh, and and owning BaseballRulesAcademy.com. But but, but I want to go back because I always like to ask people, you know, where they grew up, how they grew up. I mentioned you were born in Delaware, but then your family moves to Cincinnati. What was was life like in, in the Welsh household growing up here in town? Well, you know, we moved to Cincinnati when I was in kindergarten. So I've always considered Cincinnati my hometown, even though my birth certificate tells you that I was born in Wilmington, Delaware. Um, It's a middle-class neighborhood. Uh, We grew up on the east side, not in, uh, you know, a rich section. But, uh, you know, I was able to walk to school, went to All Saints Grammar School, uh, then went across town to St. Xavier High School and, you know, I had three sisters. I was in charge of all, all the, the outdoor maintenance and clean up in the house, so I didn't have to make beds and uh, wash dishes because I had sisters to do that. So, you know, uh, we uh, it, it was just a, a nice middle class uh, growing up. And saying that, I, I got to tell you, by being, you know, born into that situation, I was very, very lucky. I mean, I basically started life on second base because I had both my mom and dad in the house, uh, they cared for us. They took care of us. Uh, I was afforded a terrific education at St. Xavier, and then I had a, uh, a scholarship to go down to the University of South Florida, and I, and I graduated there. So, 
you know, whereas a lot of kids nowadays grow up and they don't have those kind of things given mm-hmm. to them, I'm very grateful for the head start that I had uh, as a kid. Well, there's no doubt about it. And we, we've had lengthy conversations uh, on this big interview segment, especially guys like Bob Huggins. Uh, and not only just in the African-American community, but specifically with him, we talked about that and how, you know, there's so many homes where it's only one parent in the household and, and the challenges that is for that parent and the kids and so on and so forth. Um, th- th- there really isn't a price tag that can be placed on that. When you come out of uh, St. Xavier and you mentioned that you got a scholarship to go down to South Florida, you know, it's weird, Chris, uh, you were never a quote-unquote hard-throwing guy, and I'm assuming you weren't coming out of high school. You know, I, I wonder if guys like you, are they still getting recruited to come pitch college baseball? You had a son that pitched in college baseball down in Louisville. Well, yeah, there's a lot of recruiting going on. I'll tell you the scholarship story that I had in South Florida. I had never been to Florida in my life, and here I am a senior in high school. It's February. It's a sleet storm in Cincinnati. And uh, we had made arrangements and because I had always had a sore arm in high school. Uh, and we always attributed it to cold weather. We didn't know any better back then, right? So I had never been really south of Kentucky. That's as far as we had ever been on vacation. Uh, so I talked my dad into sending me down to Tampa, Florida. Uh, I stayed with a boyfriend of one of my older sisters who was a school teacher at St. Pete High School. And he took me around to three different colleges down there, University of Tampa, uh, Florida Southern University in Lakeland, and University of South Florida in Tampa. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and then we took a look around, and I, we went in to meet the coaches at each place. And I went in to meet the coach at University of South Florida. His name was Beefy Wright. He started the program down there. He's a big Southern guy with a deep voice. And he looked at me, and he said, well, I've never heard of you. And I said, that's okay. I said, I'm pretty good and uh, I've never been cut off any baseball team before so he said well I'll tell you what if you make the team we'll give you an out-of-state tuition waiver so I said okay so I got on the plane that night Delta used to have a direct flight from Tampa to Cincinnati would leave 11 o'clock at night get in at 1 a.m. so I got on that plane got off the plane in Cincinnati looked at my dad and said guess what dad I've got a scholarship and, I, of course, I left out the details of I have to make the team. And, number one, the scholarship really is only an out-of-state tuition waiver. But that was the start. I was the only freshman that made the team. Uh, I ended up uh, kind of working my way into a full ride by the time I was a junior. Uh, so it all worked out that way. But that's, the, you know, scholarships come in different forms. And uh, so you could say that I, w- I was pretty good at uh, twisting things around a little bit to make it happen. You know, by the time you were there, though, uh, Hall of Famer Robin Roberts took over the program. It, it is so rare. I mean, heck, I don't know how much it happens anymore. Maybe Deion Sanders is an example of that now in college football and, and what he's done and moving on to Colorado. But, man, it's so rare. And, and, and what an unbelievable experience that must have been for a pitcher to have Robin Roberts as your head coach down there at USF. You know, he came in my senior year, and uh, I was on the athletic committee. I was the lone student representative on this athletic committee that they put together, uh, which included professors and board of regents and the president of the university and so on. And we were in charge of hiring the new coaches. So when Robin Roberts threw his his name into the hat, I mean, it was pretty much a slam dunk that they were going to hire him. And uh, so I had him in my, my senior year. Now, my junior year, I had a very good year. Um, I, you know, I was one of the 
you know, I got, got some accolades in the South and so on for, for being one of the best pitchers in the state of Florida. And he saw me pitch the first time ever in the fall, fall workouts. And he looked at me and said, that's not going to work in pro ball at all. And I said, well, coach, you know, I was 10 and three last year. I had a 1.8 earned run average and that, and that. He says, I don't care. That's not going to work in pro ball. And he looked at my style of pitching. So we had a complete remake that fall and that winter. And that's one of the reasons why I was able to get, you know, professional baseball success because uh, he looked at me and he changed me as soon as he thought he needed to. What did he change? Well, he, I was a, uh, a pitcher that everything that I threw cut into a right-handed hitter, Al Leiter type, except I didn't throw hard. Had a very good curveball, but I kind of threw across my body and I had some defects in my delivery that really didn't allow me to get that fastball to run away from a right-handed hitter. And that's what most left-handers do. They've got that runner. And uh, I had to work very hard to get to that. And um, it really helped me control the outside part of the strike zone. But he recognized it immediately, and I was in denial. Uh, but I finally came around to be a believer. Um, when, when you get drafted two years in a row by the New York Yankees, and finally the second time uh, when you get drafted – um, in 1977, you sign with the team. Um, I mentioned earlier, th- this is when the Yankees are the Yankees. I mean, they've always been the Yankees, but they were the Yankees. They were winning World Series. They had all these unbelievable stars. What was that experience like when you go to spring training? Correct me if I'm wrong, back in those days, that's when the Yankees used to train down there in Fort Lauderdale. You're right. It, it, was, uh, it was like New York South. Um, I was invited to spring tra- the big league spring trading in 1979. So the Yankees had just won the World Series in 78. We're talking about you know guys like Thurman Munson and Reggie Jackson and Bucky Dent and Greg Nettles and Mickey Rivers and Tommy John and um, you know it just go on and on. Ron Guidry. I mean it was just it was like being around the Yankee version of the Big Red Machine. And uh, I, I was somewhat intimidated, and not only that, you know, back in those days, the Yankees, when they had spring training, they would invite a host of incredible Yankee icons in the spring training to be guest instructors. I mean, Mickey Mantle was in camp. Whitey Ford would used to take all the left-handed pitchers out in one of the way backfields behind the stadium in Fort Lauderdale, and we'd work on our pickoff moves. And I looked at one of the other guys, and I said, can you believe that our coach for pickoff moves is Whitey Ford? What, what's going on here? I mean, i got to be – somebody pinch me because this can't really be happening. So it, it was really incredible. Uh, but i got to say, the, the Yankee players, they were so good about accepting the young players. In fact, I was just out with, uh, playing golf the other day with uh, uh, Rich Gossage and uh, reminded him of all this stuff. And, and uh, he was one of the guys that kind of took everybody under his wing. Uh, it, it was great experience. The Yankees in those days used to get, you know, a thousand people just to watch batting practice. And uh, it, it was really something else. They were the entire spectacle of town in Fort Lauderdale. Did you get to know at all Billy Martin or be around him? Or, you know, because that, that was always such a circus. It seemed to never end, kicking him out, bringing him back, kicking him out, bringing him back. What, what was he like to be around if you had that chance? You know, I didn't really have a chance to be around him that much. Bob Lemon was the manager when I first came in there, and Martin was on the outs with, with George. Uh, I got to know George Steinbrenner actually a little bit more than I knew Billy Martin, but the, the Billy Martin stories were everywhere. And, uh, of course, the conflicts with George and Billy were everywhere. So we got kind of an inside 
scoop on, you know, what was going on behind the scenes there. And it, uh, believe me, it, it was it was just as much as a drama as everybody portrayed it to be. And that's where you had a chance to actually meet Lou Pinella for the first time, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, Pinella, yeah, what a character. He was on that team. And I used to think that the best hour of comedy ever was the – the half hour to an hour that the team would go out in the right field, they lay out on the ground out there in the, in the, the beautiful green grass in Fort Lauderdale, and we'd do our stretching. But basically it was a stand-up comedy act by Mickey Rivers and Lou Pinella and Greg Nettles and Catfish Hunter, and they're going back and forth at it. So here's a team that just won the World Series. They're very cocky, and they're just having a blast. And I remember that uh, uh, Pinella was a great practical joker. He – used to irritate the heck out of Bobby Mercer because Mercer was very meticulous about taking his a towel. They'd cut up a, a towel into a small piece. They'd line one side with athletic tape, and then the other side they'd dump a bunch of pine tar on it, and they'd rub it around, and that was Bobby Mercer's pine tar rag. And it was so perfectly made that he could fold it up and put it in his back pocket. Well, when he was in the batting cage, whenever he did not put it in his back pocket, Pinella used to go over and get that thing, and he'd open it up, and he'd rub it in all the dirt, and then he'd fold it back up, and he'd put it right there. And when Mercer got back, got out of hitting, he would go and pick up his pine tar rag. You look at it, it'd be all dirty and ruined, and he <laughs> wanted to kill Pinella. And Pinella had already made it his way out the right field laughing like crazy. So uh, that's the kind of stuff. Another thing, Pinella, you know, I remember watching Pinella in, in spring training. He would come into the clubhouse, and, you know, as he's changing into his uniform, they had, they had mirrors on these big pillars inside the Yankee clubhouse in spring training in Lauderdale. And they were like the, the mirrors that you would see in a department store. You know, you got to try a shirt on, you walk mm. over to the column, and there's a mirror. Well, Pinella would stand in front of the mirror completely naked, and he would say, Lou Pinella, batting stance number 237. <laughs> and he'd get into a different batting stance. And he'd say, Lou Pinella, batting stance number 444. You know, and... So he was always trying these batting stances, but he would do it in front of everybody with no clothes on in the clubhouse, and it was just a riot. And people would be hawing at him and everything. And it was, it was, it was just really, you know, if, if this is like the big leagues, I want to be there. And that's what I thought. Well, you finally got a chance to taste the big leagues, but it wasn't for the Yankees. You were traded a huge six-player trade, and off you go to to San Diego. Were you bummed about getting traded away for the New York Yankees or you looked at the San Diego thing as an opportunity? Because that was still relatively a young franchise. You know, I look back now and I wish that I had made the Yankee team at least for a year because if you ever play for the Yankees, it really changes your life, the way that they take care of their alumni. But at the time, I didn't know that. I didn't even think about that. I wanted to get to the big leagues. It looks like that I was headed back to AAA. Uh, for the third year in a row, they had just stockpiled talent everywhere. There was no room uh, at the big league level for any pitching. So when I got the call on, on April the 1st that we were traded, uh, it, was, uh, it was really good for me. It, in fact, I'll tell you quickly how the whole thing happened. Uh, you know, you always have a, a, a curfew in spring training. We were staying at the Gold Ocean Miles Hotel down in Fort Lauderdale by the sea. My roommate, Tim Lawler, left-handed pitcher, uh, and I would, we go out and we figured out a way to circumvent being caught for being out too late past curfew. So we would go down the beach, about three or four hotels, walk up the beach, and then come in the back door. So if we came out past curfew, no problem. No one ever caught us. 
But we stayed out late one night. We came back in, and that light was blinking on the telephone. I told Waller, I said, that must be for you. You pick it up. He said, no, I'm not picking it up. You pick it up. So we went back and forth, and nobody wanted to pick it up because it would show that we had missed curfew, right? So we felt we were going to get sent down to Meyerly Camp. Finally, we, we turned the radio on, and we're listening to a late-night FM, and the uh, the FM host comes on, and he says, the Yankees have just made a six-player trade, and he reads all the names in the trade, and he reads my name and Lawler's name. So we get out the phone book, we look up the station, we call the station on the phone, and he said, who is this? And I said, this is Chris Welsh. He said, yep, you've been traded. So so, so then we, we, we respond to all the messages, and it turns out we have about 15 messages, everybody from the manager all the way up to George Steinbrenner's office. And uh, that was April Fool's Day, and we headed out to San Diego the next day. That is an unbelievable story. That is a, it just goes to show you how the world's changed, man, among many, many other things you could talk about. That, that is a, an unbelievable story. Um, you know, you get to, Sandy- to finish that story out, to finish that story out, so we get on a plane and we go to Phoenix, and the team, the, the Padres at that time were training in Yuma, but they would take week-long trips to Phoenix and play against all the teams that were stationed in Phoenix. So we're at the Valley Ho Hotel, place that I know you know very yep. well. And uh, so you got to remember that the Yankees, all the front office guys were walking around like bankers. I mean, three-piece suits. They were always dressed up. We get into into uh, uh, Phoenix, and there's uh, uh, Jack McKeon in a, in a very loud Hawaiian shirt, white pants, Velcro shoes. You know, a condo commando, white belt and everything, standing in the middle of the lobby with a cigar holding court. And Lawler and I come in with our bags, and we go up to him and said, uh, uh, Mr. McKeon? And he goes, oh, the Yankee boy, you must be Lawler and you must be Welsh. I said, no, no, you got it mixed up. He says, it doesn't matter. You're the number four starter. You're the number five starter. (laughs) And that's how I made the major leagues. What do you remember about your major league debut? Where were you? How nervous were you? I was nervous as could be. It was the day game, second game of the season in San Francisco, and I had a full house. And uh, I remember pitching to Billy North. I finally got warm. You know, I was warmed up. I, mean, I was warmed up when I got to the ballpark. My heart had been racing for 12 hours. And so I go down there, and, and I pitched to the first batter, Bill North, and he hits a ball over the head of our center fielder, Rupert Jones, who catches it up against the, the fence in dead center field, uh, at Candlestick Park and hauls it in. And all I could think was, man, that was the leadoff hitter. What am I going to do when I get to the middle of the lineup? So I ended up pitching in five innings, didn't get a decision, but I did uh, beat the Giants the next time out, the uh, four to one, uh, went seven innings. And uh, that was when Frank Robinson was the manager of the Giants. I was always a big Frank Robinson fan. So that's, that meant something special to me. Well, you know, as you start to get going, Chris, I mean, you had put together just some unbelievable minor league seasons, and you get this chance now to be in the rotation in San Diego. Um, Dick Williams comes in there. He had had great success uh, as the manager of the A's, but a guy who always seemed to rub people the wrong way, even if they were winning and winning titles uh, and that kind of thing. Did, did your career change when, 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 or at least the trajectory of where you thought it might go or where it was going when Williams took over? Yeah, he did. You know, prior to that, the first manager we had in San Diego was Frank Howard. You, you couldn't find a nicer 
more gentle man than Frank Howard. You know, every once in a while he'd flip the switch and go crazy. But for the most part, he, he was just as good as they come. I mean, just golden. Dick came here with a completely different attitude. And they, they wanted to make this team into a winner. They thought they had some talent on that team, uh, young talent that they had traded for. And I got off to a bad start with Dick Williams because we were playing a spring training game right before the end of the spring training season in 1982. And um, there was a ball hit to the right side of the infield that I thought the first baseman had. As it turned out, he bobbled it. I was late getting the first base, and I got there at the same time the runner did. The runner, the runner was Don Baylor, and he decided to slide feet first in the first base. And by doing so, he hit my foot, and he bro- and I broke my foot. And I didn't realize this. I walked back to the mound. I had bases loaded at that point. I struck out Brian Downing to get out of the inning. But as soon as I ran off the mound and put my weight on the balls of my feet, the bone in my foot kind of broke apart, and uh, I almost crumpled into a heap. And instead of saying, you know, what's wrong with you? Are you okay? He started in on me like, how can you be late covering first base? Oh. And basically that was the beginning of, the, of a very tough relationship with Dick Williams for me. He, he demanded a lot out of his players, and uh, that was a very bad way to get it going. Didn't, didn't early on in your career there you come back and pitch a shutout against the Reds? Yeah, I did. As a matter of fact, that was the 1981 uh, split season. Remember the players strike? Yep. Yep. And the, the Reds had the best, best record in baseball overall. But because they did not win either half, the first half or the second half, they didn't get invited to the postseason. And uh, they were rolling right along. I think they had won seven games in a row going up the West Coast, starting in San Francisco and then L.A., and they came down to San Diego. This was in the beginning of September. So that's back when the Reds were in the, the Western Division of the National League, and we played you know, teams like San Diego and the Dodgers three times. Anyway, I pitched a, a shutout against the Reds, and um, I remember – you know, that old Jack Murphy Stadium was perfect for pitchers because it was 417 or 420 feet, the dead center field with a 17-foot wall. And I remember Johnny Bench hitting a ball out there that Rupert Jones caught right up against the wall for the out. And Bench came running by the, the pitcher's mound as he was making a lap back to the dugout, and he said, Yeah. I think we lost him there. Uh, Chris, are you there? It's like we got some interference kind of crossing. That happens every now and again, doesn't it, on your phone, where all of a sudden you hear somebody talking, and you're like, uh, who is this person? You can't converse with them. I don't know if we got Chris back or not. No, still don't. Um, I, I have no idea what that is. Okay. None. Chris, are you still there or no? No. Oh, there you go. Okay. And, so you, you were starting to say, you were starting to say bench comes running by the mound and says what? <clears throat> he came running by the mound and he said, go warm up. And, uh, which meaning I was throwing some serious puffs. So the next time he did the same thing, except he ran by and he said, Welsh, go warm up. And that's when I realized that Johnny Bench knew my name. And uh, I was just tickled to death. I said, I can't believe Johnny Bench knows who I am. Uh, because I was, a, you know, such a huge Reds fan 
that this was like a dream come true. So, you know, in today's ballpark, it would have been three home runs. Back in those days, it was three fly ball outs. I was on the Joe Nuxall star of the game show to wrap it all up. And that was really the highlight of that year. I can guarantee you that. Well, if I'm not mistaken, in that game, you also had a base hit and knocked in a run. Yeah, I, th- I believe I did, yeah. Uh, it, uh, I always thought I could hit a little bit. Um, you know, my philosophy as a hitter, really, as a, as a pitcher that is hitting, let me put it that way, was that I never wanted that guy to strike me out. And I would choke up as far as I had to just to try to make, make contact. And that year with the Padres, I think I had 11 runs batted in, and 10 of those came with two outs. And so I had more two-out RBIs than the guy that batted after me, which was Gary Templeton. So I used to always get on him about that. <laughs> um, you have a chance eventually to come back to Cincinnati, and Pete Rose is your manager. Um, now, you talked about growing up in Cincinnati uh, and being a Reds fan. And Pete Rose was the very face of the Reds franchise. That had to be surreal. Even now, you know, as you're starting to become a little bit older guy, I mean, it's still Pete Rose, right? And now you're playing for him. You know, it's even more surreal as to how I got the job. Uh, You know, back in 1986, that was right in the middle of Major League collusion. The owners were not talking to any free agents, whether you were a real free agent or you were a released player like me. I contacted everybody. I wrote a letter to every general manager. I called every ball club. All I wanted really at that point was an invitation to spring training, a minor league deal with an invite. I couldn't get anywhere. So here we are like the day before pitchers are going to report, and I heard that Pete Rose is up at my old college, University of South Florida, and he was filming a TV commercial. So I got in my car, and I drove up from Bradenton, Florida, to, to, uh, to Tampa. And I'm kind of waiting in the shadows while Pete's finishing his commercial shoot. And he comes out, and he looks at me, and he says, Hey, Chris, how you doing? Because I always pitch really well against Pete for whatever reason. And uh, he said, Where are you going to be this year? I said, Oh, Pete, didn't you hear I'm going to be with the Reds? He said, that's great. I can't wait for it. He said, no, I said, no, Pete, I'm kidding. You know, really, I said, I talked to Bill Burgess, and he wanted nothing to do with me. And all of a sudden, Pete got real serious. He looked at me. He says, that SOB, he doesn't run this club. I run this club. He said, you be down at Al Lopez Field tomorrow at 8 o'clock. I'll have a jersey with your name on it hanging in the locker. And I'm like, are you kidding me? So I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to have the general manager really hating me, but I've got Pete Rose on my side. So I'll take my chances. So sure enough, I show up the next morning down at Al Lopez Field, and there is my, uh, my, my jersey, number 45, with a name on it, and I couldn't believe it. And I had a great spring that year. Um, in fact, I gave up back-to-back doubles to the first two batters I faced and uh, then never let another batter get the second base the entire spring, and I was the last guy to get cut. Actually, they, they told me I made the team, so I'm coming to, to, uh, to Tampa. I've got my stuff ready to throw it on the, on the team bus, and at the very last minute, Mario Soto decides that his arm is going to be good enough to be the opening day starter, so they basically throw my stuff off the bus. They head up to Cincinnati, and I head out to Denver. But you eventually had the chance to come back and pitch for the Major League <laughs> Club and put on a red uniform. Yeah, that was in May. 
I pitched down in Denver for a while and then uh, came up. In fact, that, the first day that I pitched against the Red, uh, I pitched for the Reds was the, in May, and uh, it was against the St. Louis Cardinals. And that was the day that the leadoff hitter was Vince Coleman. And I, I walked Coleman to start the game and then proceeded to throw over to first base 21 times. And uh, I mean, everybody in the ballpark except the concessionaires are booing me. And uh, even my, my family and friends tickets. Uh, but uh, it, it was the start of something big. Uh, I, I love playing for Pete Rose. I uh, love playing in my hometown. We had six of us on the team that year that went in a line. When I started a game and when Pete played himself at first base, and he played himself about half the time, uh, we had six players on the field that all went to high school in Cincinnati. Boy, that's unbelievable. I mean, that's un- – who, who are the others? Yeah, yeah, what, Ronnie Oster was up by that point in time? Who else was there? Yeah, well, Barry Larkin was a rookie that yep. year. Buddy yep. Bell was playing third base. Pete yep. was at first, and Dave Parker playing right. Right, right. Exactly. Boy, uh, unbelievable. Um, okay, so you, when, you, when you're out of the game, you're no longer a player, and, and now you're trying to figure out what to do with the rest of your life. There, I mean, there was a decent amount of time there where you actually left the, the town uh, and left the sport, um, and you, you had lived down you were moving to, you had moved down to Florida. Um, wh- what were you doing in, in those years after you quit playing? Well, number one, I was missing baseball because it was in my blood and, and so many players. You know, I can relate to the, the separation anxiety that you have at the end of your career, whether you play 20 years or whether you play two years. You know, you've been doing it your whole life. So uh, I did a couple of different things. Uh, the first thing I did was I got involved with some some other ball players and some politicians, and we started a business down there completely unrelated to baseball. It was uh, a, uh, an employee leasing business. Uh, so it was about taxes and, and uh, employer information and retirement plans and things like this. And <clears throat> so I went out quickly, uh, did quick study and got a you know insurance license. I got a real estate license. Uh, I went out and started doing the business thing. And uh, I was always kind of in, in the corner of my eye looking for a way to get back into baseball. So I started a newsletter um, or a trade letter, whatever you want to call it, on pitching. And um, I used to send this out. I had a pretty good subscriber base. This is way back before, you know, blogs and Substack and so on. And uh, I would uh, write articles about pitching, uh, giving pitching advice. I'd interview players and pitchers about, you know, how to throw certain pitches and so on. And I did that for a couple of years. And I did that really to kind of stay connected with the game. And uh, then, uh, then one day, <clears throat> about six years later, my dad calls me. Uh, and he's living up in Cincinnati. He says, hey, I'm looking in the Inquirer here, and it seems like the Reds have not hired their TV guys, uh, their broadcasters for this year. And, I mean, here we are in February. I mean, it's just about starting spring training. So, I, in the meantime, I had done some college games on baseball for Sports Channel Florida. And back in those days, really nobody watched college baseball, maybe girlfriends and families, about the only audience that was turning the TV on. And, uh, but I had some experience behind the mic. So I, I sent up a, a resume, and I got a call back and say, from Bill Spiegel, who was the uh, yep. general manager of WLWT Channel 5 in Cincinnati. And he said, we don't deal in resumes here. We deal in, um, in you know, videotapes. We, we want to know what you look like, what you sound like. So I waited until my wife went out to go shopping, and I put the 
camera on top of the coffee table. And, you know, back in those days, those VCRs were the size of suitcases. So I hooked them all up, and I pressed record, and I ran around to the front and said, Hi, I'm Chris Welsh. And in 150 words, this is why I want to be the Reds TV announcer. And so I spliced in as best I could, you know, the one and only home run that I hit. And in that, the commentary of me running around the bases was what, done by your dad, Marty, and Steve Fiziok. And in there, they mentioned what a great guy I was and so on and so forth. So I did that. I put some other stuff in there, you know, some stand-up and so on. And I sent it to Bill Spiegel, and I didn't hear a thing. And uh, now we're right up against the clock in spring training, and the phone rings. And he says, uh, and uh, let me back up. I told very few friends that I had done this because, you know, what you don't want to do is apply for a job, yep. not get it, and then have to explain to everybody why you didn't get the job. So uh, I didn't tell anybody, but I did tell a few guys. And so the phone rings. I pick it up, and he says, hi, this is the, this is the uh, Channel 5 calling uh, – and I said, no, it's not. And, and I hung up on him. I said, I thought it was one of my friends pranking me. And he called immediately back, said, this is Bill Spiegel. If you want the job, don't hang up. So that's how I ended up being the Reds announcer. That's unbelievable. Um, and, I mean, <laughs> when you walk into a big league TV booth, and look, television has changed. Everything has changed as the years have gone by and the equipment and the technology and all this kind of thing. You know, much like your major league debut, uh, you know, now you're making your professional broadcasting debut for a major league baseball team. Were you more nervous for that or when you pitched? I was more nervous for that, I got to tell you, because, you know, baseball is something you've done your whole life. You know, when, 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 when it's all said and done, you can always just kind of close your eyes, rear back and say, okay, I'm really, you know, I'm not 25 years old. I'm 12 years old pitching in an all-star game. I can do it. But when you're doing something brand new like broadcasting, and let's face it, um, the players that get in as broadcast analysts, they, they come in the back door. You know, I, I think the level of expectation from the part, from the fans as far as, you know, being a wordsmith and being able to describe the action and so on isn't as high for an analyst as it is for a play-by-play guy. And uh, but So I really wasn't sure, you know, when I should jump in, when I shouldn't how long my stories would be. And I go back, I used to go back and look at some of these video, uh, videotapes, and I'm like, man, will this guy ever shut up? And uh, that was me I was talking about. So it, it took a while, but, yeah, it was really nervous to get it going. I mean, obviously, if somebody would have told you back then, that first day you walk in the booth, uh, that here we would be having, you would be having a conversation with me or anybody else in 2023, that you are now celebrating, uh, what, 40, 30 years in the booth as a Reds' primary television analyst is, is beyond belief. Yeah, you know what, you're right. It, it is beyond belief. I just kind of pinched myself saying, man, I've been so lucky. And, and really, part of the luck that I've had is the broadcast partners that I've had along the way. And, uh, I mean, some of the greatest ones in the game. I, I, I've got such respect for George Grant. He and I worked together for 17 years. Uh, during that time, uh, you know, George was one of the guys. He was one of the reasons why I used to pirate uh, cable back when I was in college. You know, when they first yep. had cable come out of the apartments, you know, were all strung up to get cable. We figured out a way we could splice them and we could get free cable in there so we could watch ESPN. And George was the first ever ESPN studio host. Yep. 
No, I remember that. That was the reason you, you know, I, I blame George for me, uh, you know, uh, committing crimes of uh, pirating cable back in those days. Uh, <laughs> but I got to work with your dad for several years when the games were on over the air with Channel 5. He came in and do three innings, and it was so much fun. God, I love working with Marty. And, uh, and then when George retired, uh, you came in. And uh, I'll tell you, it, it's, I've just been lucky one after another, and I've got John Sadak to work with. Uh, a, a host of a number of other people along the way. But, you know, the play-by-play the -play guy carries the load. And I think the biggest thing for an analyst is to figure out how to work with the play-by-play -play guy so that it sounds like your best friends. And I think that's very important. Um, you started, I, I don't know how many years ago, you tell me now. Uh, we were working together at the time when you were embarking on this BaseballRulesAcademy.com. And before we get into some of the rule changes for baseball this year and the effects we've already seen through the first, you know, less than a handful of games in spring training, we'll get to that in a minute. But, but, but talk a little bit about Baseball Rules Academy because I was explaining before you came on you know, you've done some unbelievable work there in, in, in trying to explain to fans uh, certain rules, certain ones you never see or rarely see. You match it up to video. Uh, you make it fun, sort of interactive, where you can ask fans, okay, what do you think should have happened here before you actually give the correct answer? You know, it, it all started with me, Tommy, by – and I think it was before you got there as my partner, it, there was a quirky play on the field. And I always thought because I played, you know, 10 years of professional baseball, and now here I was around for another 10 years or so as a as a broadcaster, and I knew the rules. I used to read the rule book in the wintertime, you know, to try my make myself familiar with it. And uh, this quirky play happened, and I had no clue what was going on. So I looked through the rule book while we were in a break, and I couldn't come up with the answer. And I determined right then and there that um, I'm going to learn the rules because this is embarrassing that you have a guy in the booth that's supposed to be a professional announcer, and he doesn't know the rules of the game that he's broadcasting. So I decided to kind of delve into it a little bit. And uh, so I just wanted to do create a little database for me that I could put, type in a slang word like batted ball hits its runner. And then up the rule, the, the rule would pop up, and I would have that as an access. But the more I got into the baseball rules, the more I realized that it was very complex. Mm -hmm. And um, th there were very tough rules to figure out and so on. So all of a sudden, I tackled probably the worst rule set of any sport out there because, you know, you got different school levels like high school and college and little league and um, world baseball uh, classic rules and so on, and then you've got big league rules. So uh, it's very complicated, but I, with the help of a lot of other people, I've put together a website that I've been doing probably now for 10 years. Um, I've got you know hundreds of blogs and videos up there. I've got instructional videos up there on how to play baseball, too. And uh, it's been really a labor of love, but it's kind of my way of saying thank you to the baseball community for allowing me to have a lifelong career in baseball because uh yeah, that's really what it's all about um the rules this year uh pitch clock your initial impressions of the whole thing well i'm you know i i can't say i'm a purist but i don't like rule changes but i like this you know what's happened here in my estimation is over the last few years analytics have taken over and they've shown that 
with pitchers throwing as hard as they can, you know, with these nasty sliders and spiders attack and everything like this, that it's very hard to hit the baseball nowadays. And you never see an inning hardly ever where you're going to have three, four hits in an inning where there's an old-fashioned rally building. It just doesn't work. Guys are swinging for the fences. And it got to be very boring. And I think a lot of that was the product of the analytics, uh, which really looked for inefficiencies in the game. And, boy, did they ever expose them. But the problem was now that you, you, know, you go from two minutes every time a ball is in play to four minutes every time a ball is in play. You go from uh, a baseball game of two hours and 30 minutes to a game of three hours and 10 minutes. So I think that the Major League Baseball realized, uh-oh, we can't, we can't take analytics away, and we can't tell pitchers to throw slower, but we can do something to speed up the game. So I think the clock has worked in that. I'm, I like it a lot. I've only seen about three or four games with it. Um, it's going to take a little break-in period. Uh, but i got to tell you, um, I'm not missing anything from the old game where guys are stepping out to adjust their, you know, their – their batting gloves or they're knocking dirt off their cleats and all the, the pitchers are taking an extra lap around the mound. That was all a bunch of BS. And you realize now these guys can play baseball faster and just at the same level as you could when you take your time. All right, I want to ask you just a couple of more questions. Um, and I've asked others this question, but yours I'm really interested in hearing the answer. And I don't know if you can quantify or qualify, but, but let's give a stab at it. Much has been made about uh, Hunter Green, Nick Lodolo, Ashcraft to a slightly lesser extent. But let's just put all three of them into this boat for this question. Um, the Reds are not expected to be good. They're not expected to be a good offensive team. That, all those things may prove to be dead wrong. But, but for you uh, and for Reds fans and for the Reds brass, what would be considered a good year or a progress year that you want to see out of these young pitchers? Uh, yeah, first of all, they've got to stay healthy. And I'm a firm believer in, you know, play within your own physical limits. Um, I think the, the trend of trying to get pitchers to throw harder and harder every year basically injures more pitchers than it helps. So when you've got two talented guys, and I'm going to take Ashcraft out of it and put him on a little bit lower level than okay. I do Nick Lodolo and Hunter Green. <clears throat> um, these guys have the ability. They've got the delivery to repeat and be able to become consistent. They have good moxie on the mound, and they have good experience. And I think that, you know, now what you've got to do is you've got to keep these guys healthy. And from my book, I always go back to what Tom Seaver used to say. Seaver used to say that he would pitch a 90% effort, and then when he needed a little bit extra, that's when he would zoom the ball in there at 100%. But he didn't do it all the time. And I think that it's important for Lodolo and Hunter Green to kind of take that mindset because I want those guys to pitch 180 to 200 innings this year. And that means – you got to stay healthy, and you got to make every one of your starts. All right, last thing I want to ask you, and this is more on a personal note, um, because I, I, I think that there are a lot of people who, who have to face this reality in their lives, and especially as we get older and our parents get older. Um, your wife, Beth, had two parents uh, that, that have had a lot of uh, medical uh, issues over the last couple of years. You lost your father-in-law. She lost her dad. 
But UNBEF basically became health care providers for her mom and dad. Uh, you gave up whatever things you might want to go do literally on an hour by hour, day by day, week by week, month by month, year plus, um, to go take care of them and provide for them. If you, if you had to give advice to somebody who might be facing that same kind of situation or maybe something you learned that, that, that even though you might be, you know, 60-something years old, it, it never dawned on you or you never learned, what, what would some of those words be? Well, you know, I, I'll even go back a little bit further than that, if you don't mind. My father sure. uh, was diagnosed and then died of Alzheimer's. And, uh, you know, when my mom couldn't take care of him anymore, we put him in an Alzheimer's home, and they took great care of him. It was up at Arden Course in Cincinnati. They just were so loving up there. The average length of stay for an Alzheimer's patient in a facility like that is about 18 months, and he lasted more than three years. And uh, it was a slow deterioration. And uh, all during that time, as he began to more and more become less uh, able to converse and less able to remember things and so on, the more I realized I really wish that I had taken more time to be around my dad earlier. And that was, that's the biggest thing for me is that don't wait until, you know, your parents are to the point where they just need help. You know, be their best friends right now. If you've had any, any issues throughout your life, and everybody has parents, you know, everybody has conflict with their mom and dad some, somewhere along the line, some worse than others. But, you know, put that aside. Realize that the most precious thing in the world is time. And don't waste a day being angry or not talking to your parents because you're angry. Uh, put it all behind you and just move on. And I think that's what I learned when we – got in a situation where we were taking care of best dad. His name was Phil Myers, and he was diagnosed with ALS. And it was a slow tick. Uh, it's a horrible disease. And uh, But what I learned from him is that attitude is everything. Even though he knew that he had a death sentence, uh, he had a great attitude. He was smiling. And uh, it, it was a joy to be around him, even though we knew that it was a, a fatal disease. And... Uh, so it, it, that's the kind of thing that I didn't want to make that mistake the second time where I really didn't appreciate the time I had with my dad when I had the opportunity until it was too late. I didn't want to let that time go by me now, even though, you know, my father-in-law was not my father. Uh, he was very, we were very close and I wanted to make sure that I didn't miss a minute. Well, Chris, those are great words. We already have people in our chat who say uh, they're going through this right now. One guy says, my mom and grandmother are in the hospital on the same floor and, and really interested in this. Another guy talking about his family so fractured from past events and the grudges. It's sad and kids not talking to parents and siblings. And, and so um, I really appreciate you sharing that uh, with me and with us and our entire audience and um, and uh, we thank you for all your, your generous time here today. I know you're very busy out there working in, in Arizona in spring training. So send our best to uh, Beth and all the kids. And Godspeed ahead, my friend. We'll catch up sometime soon. Well, Tommy, thank you very much for having me on. And i got to say, say one thing before I, I get out of here. that You and I worked together for 12 years. And I know you probably as well as, 
I don't know, anybody, any one of your TV partners anyway. We became very good friends. We'd go out socially after games uh, and off days and so on, got to know your family very well. And I'll tell you, you know, I think that, and this bothers me every day, I think about you every day, and I think that you've been handled a, 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 an unlucky and very difficult sentence as far as like a penalty for saying a bad thing on the air. And um, people don't know the things that you've done for people, uh, the surgeries for people that you've paid for that you don't even know, uh, the young man that you put through college that you don't broadcast it out there, the, the, the money that you've given to uh, Marymount High School, and it goes on and on and on. That, that uh, there, There's so much beneath the surface uh, of Tom Brenneman that I think people would, should appreciate. Uh, I love you very much, man. You've taught me so much as a broadcaster. To this day, I believe that you have the best big call, like a big-time home run, of anybody in baseball who I ever, ever heard or have been the pleasure to work with. And uh, I thank you for all the guidance you give me along the way. And I uh, hope you get a chance to get back in the booth, my man, because you certainly deserve it. Well, I, I really, really appreciate it, Chris. Those words mean more than you know. And um, thank you. I love you, my man. Thanks for the time today. You'll always be my buddy, Tommy. All Amen right. Amen to that. Amen to that, my man. Have a good time out there in Arizona. <laughs> We're jealous. Come on out, man. There's plenty of sunshine for everybody. Yeah, well, we got a job back here in Hamilton, Ohio, <laughs> so we're not going anywhere. But it's sunny at 70 here in Cincinnati today, so we're thankful for that. Thanks for the time, my man. Okay, buddy. Take care. All right. Chris Welsh. Boy, what a, what a great dude. I mean, just a great dude. Never forgot where he came from. Uh, you heard his, you know, his background. You know, they used to call his dad. Uh, they used to call his dad the senator. I never had a chance to meet his dad. But apparently his dad, you know, Chris is really tall, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, and, and his dad apparently, same kind of build, but had this flowing, like Chris does, had this flowing, long, white hair. It turned gray and silver, and, and everywhere he went, you know, he was a center of attention, a really big personality, and had the nickname The Senator. Uh, and I've heard people that, uh, that are uh, over at Kenwood Country Club, I think is where he, he was over there, where there are people still to this day uh, that are in their, their 80s, 70s that are still running around there that talk about the senator, uh, Chris Welsh's dad, and, and what a guy he was. But that was, um, that was really, really nice uh, having him on. So uh, let's take a break and figure out uh, how we're going to wrap up the final 20 minutes of this. So Hammond Eggers, belongs to you. Thank you, Tom. It's that type of the show, the Hammond Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. All right. Well, if you haven't liked the video yet, make sure you uh, like the video here. We are uh, we're we're 34 likes away from the goal, so make sure you go like the video. Casey, do you have anything on your mind? I did the ad reads earlier. I know sometimes you have things you need to get off your chest. Uh, you know, I um, I am disappointed that we weren't able to get him on on video. I I uh, we're gonna figure that out. If he's listening, we we will figure that. Out. <laughs> we'll, we, we we will get that straightened out. Um, we're gonna plan a little bit better next time for that. Um, but it was a good interview. I'm sure we're gonna have him on again uh, later on down when he's maybe not too busy. I know spring training's right around the corner. Yeah. But let me tell you something that is really a struggle. Okay. This, <laughs> I'm listening to Rebound Rundown in the mornings. Okay. And Chatterbox Reds. Whoa. And I I I just don't have enough time. Oh, I, you need, need me to go I, shorter. No, 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 no. 
I gotta now listen to it on the way home. Mm. So we got your whole. Catch up. Oh, so what you need me to do is go longer, and then I can get both commutes yes. covered. Yes, that's that's what, what I'm trying to say. Because you don't I hear need... enough of me all day long. You want to hear more of me. Correct. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I. If you listen to the rebound rundown this morning, gave you a little, gave you a little fun, gave you the CBS Sports intro for the for the show this morning for that, March Madness. That got me hyped, and you know, I'm I was never really big into basketball before, but that got me hyped. Hear the music. Hear the music. I, I figured, I figured some people might be in the car on the way to work in the morning. You hear the same thing over and over, so get a little, get a little juice in the morning through the CBS Sports intro in there. And it is March. It is the best time of the year, in my opinion for sports i love march madness you get baseball right around the corner then you get the masters um i know people love the fall with football and everything but i, I think the those two are on an equal playing field in the same vein that you know you get that chill in the air in the fall and uh, college football the nfl high school football all that stuff but uh i just love this time of the year here so um i i think that there, there's a lot now you're you're starting to get into more you know the horizon league is going um, but this is the last week of the regular season. You still have some big games, a lot to decide here tonight. Um, but yeah, and Chatterbox Reds has been doing a great job. It's the same type of daily commute show uh, Nick Kirby's been doing. I think he's on show four or five now, three, four, five, somewhere in there. And uh, and they've done a great job too. So uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're rocking and rolling around here. Well, Tom. Yes. How we doing, Tom? How's everything, good. how's everything going? Everything's good. Why do you ask? I don't know. Just checking in. Everything's good. Just in general. You know, I had to miss yesterday, uh, you know, for all the parents out there. And, and um, you know, you, I, I love what Chris said about, uh, you know, the way you're able to, to, to grow up. And unlike him, you know, my parents w were divorced. And my sister and I both went to um, uh, Ohio University right down the road, which, you know, is a two-hour and ten-minute drive from the east side of town where we grew up. And so if anything ever came up, you know, there was no internet. There was no cell phones or any of those kinds of things. But you were, you were two hours down the road. And so uh, the other night, you know, you get one of those parents, uh, one of those parents, one of, the, one of, not the worst, but, you know, uh, a nightmare where all of a sudden, you know, one of your kids is having to go to an emergency room. Um, because of, you know, stomach's really hurting, high fever, uh, some things going on, and, 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 and all of a sudden, you know, she's all the way down in, in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, she's, you know, an extremely yucky, lucky young, young girl, like so many that grow up around where our kids grew up um, and, and been afforded some unbelievable opportunities, and you're incredibly grateful. But when you get that call, and now all of a sudden you're like, what are you going to do? You can't jump in a car uh, and drive 15 hours. Uh, and the next plane is not leaving uh, to go to Dallas until, you know, 6 o'clock the next morning. And here you are at 11 o'clock at night. And what are you going to do? And uh, does she have friends around to help? And, uh, and you know, it was uh, you know, still a little, little touch and go, but... But, uh, you know, thanks for all of you and your west, uh, best wishes and, and, and thoughts and prayers uh, in the chat yesterday and again today. And so um, uh, it was. Uh, she's doing OK. She's doing all right. OK. Doing all right. Um, USA veteran retired. Thank you for your uh, your your kind words and Chris Welsh for his kind words. W what is this about Reed? How did that happen? 
What, 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 oh, they're what is talking this? about the uh, Iowa and Indiana game last night. Did you watch that? Iowa? Boy. Tell you, now, there's a team we were talking about. I'm telling you right now, that's a team sleeper to watch. Pretty good. Yeah, they. what they did on Saturday against Michigan State is not something that you, you really ever see down double digits with 40 seconds left, came back to win. Only time I can ever remember that happening was the – 2016 NCAA tournament uh, with Texas A&M and Northern Iowa. Otherwise, I, I can't remember a team being down by that much and coming back that quickly. And then to follow that up and go to Assembly Hall and win by 21, 22, whatever they won by last 90 night. 90 to 68. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Brutal. And it was, it was never a game. I mean, I don't know how much of it you watch, but I – Well, I, I mean, after, after 10 minutes, it wasn't worth yeah, watching. Yeah. Yeah, I just I, I was watching uh, Villanova, Seton Hall, and a couple other ones, and I kept going back and forth and checking the score, and it's, it never got close. It was crazy. I, I just – and that's where, as a Big Ten fan, I was going through some, some Big Ten tweets after the game, and I saw a lot of frustration of, man, we, we're putting all our hopes here for the tournament in Purdue and Indiana, and now all of a sudden – Indiana loses by 22, and Purdue can't seem to figure it out here down the stretch. They've lost three or four of their last six games. So what what are we doing here if you're the Big Ten? And, of course, Big Ten hasn't won a national championship in over 20 years. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't see the Big Ten winning the national championship this year. Purdue is playing at a level that made you think they could a few weeks ago all, through the season up until a few weeks ago. But now they've, they've dropped a few. Um, I just don't see the true national title contender out of the Big Ten. Two very good teams. And when Indiana's playing well. Now, the other thing with Indiana is they've been without their point guard. So, Xavier Johnson hasn't been playing. Um, I don't I don't know his status. I haven't heard an update on that if, if anybody in the chat knows. All right, I want to ask know, you but... to do me a favor. Okay. Because we have uh, laughed about it. We've joked about it. But the reality of it is, is that you are literally, if you didn't have to go to work, you would be the kind of guy, Paul. Yeah. That especially starting tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Through the weekend, all of next week, when all the big boys get together for their conference tournaments, you're the kind of guy that if you could do it, you would be perfectly content to sit there in front of the tube starting about noon, right? Yeah. And go until like 1, 2A. Pack 12. Okay. All right. So tomorrow, we talked about Northern Kentucky. Some of the smaller conferences, their tournaments have already started, but they really kick into gear starting tomorrow yeah. or Friday. Okay. So when you come in tomorrow, since we go on the air at 10 o'clock, I would like you to basically lay out a schedule of games. That if you were indeed home all day long, what games you would be watching throughout the day? Got it. Now, I know you'd be flipping the channel. I get that, right? Because yeah. I'm sure you get ESPN Plus. Stupid question. Oh, Tom, come on. <laughs> what do you what pay do you... for that, by the way? It's cheap. It's like $7.99. They might have upped yeah. it. Might be you, can, you can bundle it all together, too, yeah, with like Hulu and Disney Plus yeah. and whatnot. So it's really not that bad. ESPN Plus, in my mind, is the best streaming service out there. I love it. ESPN Plus. I mean, they have everything. They got everything on there. Everything. I don't have it, but but yeah, uh, you know, because I I I was thinking myself the other day. It's amazing 
how little sports I watch on television. And I'm talking about for a short period of time. I'm talking about basically for a long time. If it, I used to love college basketball. Would watch it like you all the time. And I have the time. Because when the winter would come around, I'm not doing baseball. I'd, I'd broadcast a lot of basketball. But I could sit around up in Clifton over at Eddie and Pat Shepard's house when I'd be back in town doing the UC games. I could sit there and watch basketball all day long. But now... I mean, nothing. I can't watch the Reds because I have YouTube TV, right? So I, I don't watch any of that. And I might watch a little bit more baseball now because of this job. But rarely ever college, now college and pro football, I watch. But outside of that, very little. But I do know that every time I look at the, the, the schedule to get ready for the show, it's amazing. Um, all the games that are on ESPN Plus. Oh, yeah. I mean, really, outside of the Big East, every team is affiliated in, in some form or fashion with an ESPN Plus or ESPN in general, or you can find a game on ESPN. Now, the Big Ten Network obviously carries a lot of the Big Ten games, but the Big Ten has a partnership with ESPN that you're going to find just like last night, Indiana and Iowa, ESPN2 or whatever it was. So, um, yeah, I mean, ESPN Plus is the best. And the one thing about it, too, is, like, you can get through games quicker. If you're not going to watch it live, you watch it after the fact. Yeah. You can – that's the one thing I do really love about ESPN Plus is that it's pretty much like a library. It, it, it's all recorded there for you. So, like, during the soccer season, my fiancé watches every big game, like every single big game you can In soccer. In soccer. Yeah. Like, college, like, like college. European stuff or college stuff? College stuff. Well, and, she was a and, college player. Yeah. And she'll watch the uh, English Premier League. That's on a different app. But for ESPN Plus, she knows the college soccer game. Sure. Like, in and out. And uh, for me, I've used it a couple times already just to catch up on some basketball games. But Yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, NKU does it. All yeah. these, these Mac schools, anybody. It's, it's just it's great. Gives you a chance to follow everything. And if you have Apple TV, I don't know if they still do this, but if you have Apple TV, they used to have a way that you could get into it and then set up a quad box and just be watching four games at the same time. No, that's pretty oh, cool. Oh, man. Talk about Nirvana. <laughs> oh, my God. You get, you get Ball State and Buffalo in one corner, Kennesaw State, Jacksonville State in another corner. Now you're talking. Now you're speaking my language. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Boy. Well, maybe you should get it, Tom, just so then you can watch your Bobcats. Yeah, Bobcats. Well, won't, won't, won't they when they start on? getting a little more consistent, they had a nice run last year, and now all of a sudden they were rolling this year, and now they've laid an egg. Well, how about? They've laid two in a row, losing to Miami's an embarrassment. Well, you said I that. mean, a total embarrassment. They won again last night. Four in a row, they five of seven. They're going to play in the MAC tournament. No, you stinks. It bums me out. Just thinking about it. I mean, do you watch their football program at all? I do watch the football team a lot. Because they're on matching. Yeah. I mean, you don't need ESPN Plus for matching. No. That is front and center big time stuff. <laughs> that's true. I forgot about that. Forgot I mean, that's Maction. the only conference in America you can say that about. <laughs> Tuesday, Wednesdays, Thursday nights. Matching. All right. So, Paul, like on a day like today. Yeah. Okay. Now, th this isn't a day where it's going to be all night. So we know that, I have you know, this. to wet your whistle, you know, right out of the gate, 6.30, it's the early, 
Xavier Providence, you're dialed into that. Yeah. But, but in commercial timeouts, you're clicking over to DePaul and UConn, right? Oh, of course. Okay, and you're clicking over into maybe Maryland, Ohio State, or Vanderbilt, Kentucky. Vanderbilt, Ooh. Kentucky, for sure. Okay. Vanderbilt, Kentucky, for sure. We know yeah. that Casey will be watching Pitt at Notre Dame. <sighs> no doubt, right? My leprechauns. The Panthers. Uh, you, you know, and then later tonight, you know, we mentioned, you, you know, now, I mean, I don't know who in his right mind would click it on, but you would be on there. It's on FS1 where Georgetown and Creighton tee it up at 8.30. X will be just wrapping up, Yeah, right? yeah. And then nine, you got the big leaguers. Yeah, right. Big 12. You got Texas to TCU tonight. That's a huge game. Big game. Um, okay, but here, here is now where we're drifting into to, to never, never land. There is no way, please tell me there's no way, that starting at 9 up until 11p, okay? Okay. That you're going to turn on Grand Canyon at Southern Utah, mm. Seattle at Utah Tech, okay. Southern Indiana at SIU Edwardsville, UT Rio Grande Valley against California Baptist or Utah State at UNLV. Now, there's no way any of those games actually get clicked on your television. The Utah tonight. State and UNLV game I will watch. None of the other ones. I will not watch any of those other ones. But the Utah State and UNLV game I'll watch because that's on CBS Sports Network. So you will stay up till 1 o'clock in the morning. Well, you, one well, he already does that. Yeah, usually, <laughs> usually I I record the rebound rundown usually around twelve thirty anyway. So I keep that. There's always an eleven o'clock Mountain West game on either FS1 or CBS Sports Network. So while I'm doing the rundown at like twelve thirty or one, I just go and flip that on and leave it on. Sometimes it's a good game. Sometimes it's not. Utah State, one of the best three point shooting teams in the country, had been. Until Are you a sitting weeks like ago. in a basement doing this, or, or, or I mean, I'm trying to get a picture. Yeah, of yeah. A... I sit, yep, sit in a basement, just write my notes all night for the show, and then record the show twelve thirty, one o'clock, whenever, whenever the last big story of the night happens. What's tough is some nights when UCLA is like screwing around and can't figure out if they want to win a game yeah, or not. Yeah, and then it's it's twelve thirty, and I'm going, you know. I could do the show now, but if they if they win, it's not a story. But if they lose, yep. it's a big story. And then they end up winning, and it just ends up being one note at the end of the show instead of, you know. And it's not even like you can, you know, you can write out different scenarios that happen. Yeah, like, but you can't what, record. Yeah, yeah, you can't record it. Well, <laughs> no, I mean, you could, no. but it would be kind of lame yeah. to be like. Yeah. yeah. No, but to answer your question, no, I, I will not watch, like, Rio Grande Valley or any of that, but I will watch Utah State and UNLV. Okay. That's at eleven. All right. Um, I, I love the Mountain West. I don't think that the Mountain West is as good as a lot of people are saying it is this year, but I do just love that they're late night games because it speaks to my soul. Uh, I'm asked in the chat by CJ, "Will I be at UD Arena tomorrow night?" And that is an absolutely yes, for sure. What's the Marymount Warriors. Oh. District championship tomorrow night, going for their third straight district championship for the first time in school history. Playing tomorrow night at UD Arena. Who are they playing? Um, I, you know, I'd never heard of the school. Uh, Miami East something or whatever it is. Uh, apparently, uh, remember the great running back out of Penn State? You guys might not be old enough. You remember Curtis Enos? No. He was one of the great running backs in Penn State history, and they have had a ton of great running backs. This is his son that is the best player on this team they're playing. Hmm. He's a 6'1 point guard, I guess heavily recruited. 
Uh, he averages like 25 a night. Uh, and so uh, I will for sure be up there this weekend. It's weird how everything this year, and the reason they're playing on a Thursday night is because now everything is moved to UD Arena. Yeah. Used to be like last year. Uh, this is the first year. Uh, last year, you'd have like, you know, the Division I uh, you know, sub-district playing at uh, the Shoemaker uh, Fifth Third. Uh, you'd have another group at Cintas when they got to the regional finals. Uh, we did both of those uh, venues last year here on Chatterbox, and now we're not allowed to do it anymore. But, um, but now everything's UD Arena. So they've got Division Three tomorrow night. They've got Division Two the following night. Division One heavyweight lineup uh, on Saturday. I mean, guys that are going to be playing uh, major college basketball uh, moving ahead into next year. Uh, and it's a bad weekend to be Centerville. That's all I can tell you. This big Ballyhooed powerhouse program, bad weekend to be them because they are f playing the Anderson Raptors, hmm. led by my old classmate Frank Brandy's head coach. They're taking down the Elks from Centerville. Tom, we're going to go to the cherry on top a little early today. We are. Because it is one of the most laugh-out-loud funny things that I can remember. I was laughing so hard on the rundown this morning, I couldn't even – I just left it in. I, I, This is just – it's just the epitome of what has happened in the state of Louisville basketball. I don't, I don't know if you saw this last no, night. No, I have not seen it. So, before you run this, Casey – Louisville basketball this year, if you don't follow college basketball, one of the most storied programs in the history of the sport, yep. one of the biggest programs in the history of the sport. They are 4-26 and overall this year. They are 2-17 and in the ACC. They are a horrendous basketball team. I am telling you they are awful. They're like 4-24. 4-26 and overall. Oh, my overall. God, forgive me. 4-26, okay. 2-17 and in the ACC. Well, last night it was senior night, their last home game. Frisbee Dogs – Frisbee Dogs was the halftime show, and here's what happened. <laughs> what? Little guy needed a restroom break right on the court. Oh, my God. Hold on, hold on. The Wait, just stop. Squat uh, it down. And he leaves his little leaves a little present right there on the court. That's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, that, that guy. That is unbelievable. You can see the little pile of stew right there God on the court. God bless him. You got to go, you got to go. The poor, but the trainer, why did, he should have let him go. Like, yeah, just let him finish. Yeah, like no he's doubt. already done it. And you know, he's already humiliated having to do it in front of everybody, <laughs> yeah, but you got to go. You got to go. I mean, I've seen people do that in some cities around America these days. <laughs> in the streets, everywhere. <laughs> the streets. It's everywhere, everywhere. Um, just I just can't believe it. I, I mean, I brought it up last week when I, I, I mentioned I, I, I just turned on their game for a minute and saw the record at the bottom of the screen. I, I just can't believe it. How in the world did that happen that fast? I mean, I'm sure it's a very long ex – I don't mean the dog squatting on the, on the court. That happened very quickly. <laughs> yeah. Almost as quickly as the way that program is gone. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, it was, what, two years ago, Chris Max got him rolling. Yeah, I mean, 2020, they were probably going to be, yeah, protected seed, one of the best years in, in recent memory. Not as good as, like, winning the national championship in 2013, but 
they were they had a very good year, no NCAA tournament that year, and then it's all just come crashing down. And I mean crashing hard, very hard, to the point of four wins this year. Oh boy. Four wins for Louisville. I just can't. Be- I can't believe me. And I grew up old enough to remember when Denny Crum had that thing going. And uh, though the national championship team, I believe it was '83, when they had Daryl Griffith. I mean, y- y- you watch that team now in today's day and age, and with the athletes, it- it's commonplace. But those teams. And the athletes and the dunking and, and the way they played in that full court, uh, what was it, the Denny Crum ran, the 2-1-2 full court press. I mean, they, they were everywhere. They seemed like they had seven, eight guys on the floor when you played against them. And they were all great players. They weren't just athletes. They were great. And, and then, of course, the years go by. Patino comes in there, gets them rolling. Uh, they won a national championship. And to see where they are now, it is just, it, it's almost unfathomable. You think you've like gone into the, uh, the twilight zone. Yeah. When you see what, what they are and where they are. It's awful. It's so bad. I mean, to think that, that Georgetown, St. John's, and Louisville are just, I, they're just uncompetitive. It's crazy. <laughs> Sir Boy Wonder. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Study about wrecked his car. When he heard you read that. Oh, man. Yeah, to, to AM's question about Chris Mack, I mean, Mack just, it, it, was, it was always that cloud hanging over Louisville, what was going to happen from the NCAA sanctions, and then it ended up being nothing. It ended up being a, a slap on the wrist. So now the program has to rebuild. And they got a lot of work to do. They got a lot of work to do. That's the cherry on top or the deuce on the floor. <laughs> hey, every now and again, you got to run into a deuce on the floor. I mean, right? Four. Happens in my house all the time. One of my daughters <laughs> is 14 years old, blind. God bless her. Uh, when she gets up out of that bed and she sleeps a lot, God bless Penny. But when it's time to go, it's time to go. And some mornings you wake up and deuce on the floor. <laughs> Right? Yep. You still love them. Happens to the best of them. It does. I mean, it happens with your kids. Maybe not on the floor. But when they're babies, you guys will find us out. One day. Okay. I mean, you truly have been. Casey, one year You right have now. been enlightened. No, no, when you have to now. walk in that room and pick them up out of that crib. And it's the most important thing in your life. And then all of a sudden. You know, little Velcro strip here, little Velcro strip there. You pull down the top, and all of a sudden, what's inside of there is staring you right in the face. One year from, running right into your nostrils. One year and, from and right now. And you know now. what? You don't even you don't even blink. Of course, you just do it, and you clean them up. You put a brand new one on, and you know it's a matter of time before you're doing the same thing all over again. A labor of love. When's little Casey going to be running around? <laughs> not, a year from right now. No, no. <laughs> it's not going to be for a while. Give it a give it like uh, three years. Three or four years. Maybe even more than that. A year and a half from right now. Well, well maybe there'll be a little Paulie running around. Yeah. Mm. 
How about that? Yeah. Maybe. In a year from now? <laughs> Hopefully not in a year from now. <laughs> Are you familiar with the term shotgun wedding? I am. Hopefully that doesn't have to happen. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. There's no doubt about that. We've all been down that road. All be. right. Uh, give me a prediction, uh, fellas. Give me your pick of the day uh, or pick oh. of the night. Yep. You guys, see, you don't think about this stuff. You know, you guys come in, you're working hard, you're preparing. I got but it. You're never ready for pick of the night. No, I got it. Casey's got his head buried in information over there looking up Betfred Sports, sports I, book. I got it. I, I'll just, all right. What is yours, Paul? I'll Let's give hear my, it. I'll give my pick of the day from the rebound rundown. I'll take the over. In the Kentucky game, I think last night it was in the mid-140s. I haven't checked this morning to see where it is, if the line has moved or not. When I gave it out last night, it was at 146.5. The first time, they went pretty significantly under that, but both teams' offenses look a lot better than they did the first time they met a month and a half ago. So I will will take – the only thing that makes me nervous about this over is that Kentucky gets up by a ton and kind of takes the tempo out of the game. But I They can sleepwalk now. Yeah, I. We'll, yeah, this is this is the only landmine game left for Kentucky that you don't want to lose this. But it, even still, I think Kentucky's in anyway. I think Kentucky's safely in. So mm. um, take I, I take the uh, I take the uh, the the over there. One forty six and a half was where I saw it last night. Okay, Casey, are you going to give us an MLS bet uh, on no. a tie? Bet on a tie? No. A drop. Oh, forgive me, Brandon. Say, oh, thank you. It's called a draw. And you earn a point for that, so. Yeah, and you even, you even, see, if there's ever such a thing that has carried itself from youth sports in California or Oregon or somewhere like that, that makes its way all the way up to the professional ranks, it's the fact that if you tie, you actually get points. A point. Participation trophy at its highest level. So, Casey, your lock of the day is? Jalen Brown over 24 and a half points. On Betfred, it's 25 plus. Who? Jalen Brown for the, the Celtics. Okay. Yeah. All right. You're picking he's going to have more than 24 points. 25. 25. Forgive me. Okay. 25 right. or more. All right. Um, is there no box lunch here today? No box lunch today. Because they picked up the slack for me yesterday? Two, two straight days of that, and we had – we got some stuff we got to take care of too. So okay, all right, fellas. All right, well, uh, Casey, have a great rest of your day. Yep. Paul, I know that if I need to reach you about one thirty, you'll be dialed into Utah UNLV, call Utah in, State. Call into the Xavier post game show. Watch the game. Call into. The I show. watched your show the last time. Yeah, call I in. told you I jumped on. Yeah, I do. And that. then I heard some lunatic, uh oh, dropping f bombs and all this kind of stuff, and I'm like, you know, I, I don't oh, want to no. listen to this. Yeah, it is. It you is. didn't want to listen. Why don't you cut those guys off? Well, it depends. It's unfiltered. Sometimes it's sometimes it's people ranting. Sometimes you know after a loss, you don't have to worry about the FCC on Twitter Spaces. Well, I understand. And that. then sometimes sometimes when it when you can tell it's going nowhere, then you got to move things on. You got to read the got to read the room. So sometimes we, we see. Okay. All right. Well, good luck to the Musketeers tonight. Yep. That's a big one tonight. We'll be talking a lot about it tomorrow. You know, one of these days we should ask Sean Miller to come on the show. <laughs> That'd be great. Right, Casey? Yeah, we can get him on. You mean, you're a big fan of him, right? Really big fan. Who has talked 
more highly about Sean Miller true. than I have on this program, and that is a fact. That is true. That is a fact. And yet, you can only wonder. It's one of the things that when you put your head on the pillow and you say your prayers at night, you then kind of ask the Lord for a little guidance. Why, why won't Sean Miller come on this show? First world problems. All right, boys. Catch you tomorrow. Thank all of you for joining us. Look forward to catching up tomorrow. The Tracer is back in the house tomorrow. We'll see you.